0: The word tribulation, too. Didn't he do a good job? And we had Capernaum and some other words. Uh, Confession, I did take some of the place names out of the first reading because it just seemed cruel, frankly. (laughs) But uh, there it is. So today, we focus on a story that is one of two parts. And we read the first part last week. It was uh, this idea that as Jesus goes through the first steps of his ministry in his life, we can see what, we can kind of break down what mission might look like, how we might enter into our own mission and the experiences of us, uh, our own steps along the way. And so for Jesus, for the first part of this story, he had been baptized, he had been tried, and he was now returning to his hometown of Nazareth, So this is kind of the kickoff, the first Gig of his ministry when we were talking about this last week. He comes home and he is in the place of his childhood, in the synagogue of his childhood, which is at that point a gathering place. It's not a formal as we know them today. And they read from the scroll. They read different uh, readings every, every time they come together, just like we do. And Jesus has the reading in front of him, but it's not the one he wants to read. So he unrolls the scroll to get to a very specific passage, and then he reads out loud, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolls up the scroll, pretty as you please, and says something completely radical, declaring his ministry and his intention in the world. He says... Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So like, wow, mind blown. (laughs) It takes a minute for this to sink in. People are blown away. They're marveling. The translation here says they are raving. It's hard to get at the precise meaning, but Jesus has made a huge claim here. He is talking out loud and in public. He is reading the scroll. He is making eye contact with others. He has just claimed that the kingdom of God has been fulfilled in him. And the more they think of it, the crazier it is. And so they shoot the insult at him to take him down several thousand notches, to put him back in his place where he is just the child of an unwed mother in a backwoods village In Judea now I want to be really clear about this this is not a shameful thing in fact God himself chose to be born to Mary in the way he was to make a point about God's love and reach right he could have been born to a prince that's not what happened this is not an insult God chose this but in its time and place it was meant as an insult. And the people get angry, and Jesus and the elders of the village start exchanging words in what p- scholars call challenge and riposte. It's a war of words to determine who will win the honor points, and they are ultimately <coughs> uh, to, to, to win the day in terms of who gets to say in, in the community what is right and what is wrong the rejection of him and that is what they do they reject him means Jesus says to them if you reject me that means that this good news is going to come to others first do you think that makes them happier or is this another thrust of the rapier right this is this is a back and forth war of words and they get so hopping mad that Jesus wins the argument because in a contest of challenge and repost to see who is more honorable the person who resorts to violence loses and that is what they do they resort to violence they cannot accept him in this new way and he shames them for it in revenge they literally take him outside and throw him and try to throw him down and in the chaos he simply slips away In the context of talking about mission, this story shows that we can expect some pushback when we try something new, especially when it upsets established norms and order. And I want to simplify this a little. So raise your hand if you are Jesus. I'm glad nobody raised their hand, full disclosure. Would have been a a long conversation later. So, yeah. We're not, right? We are simply not going to have experiences of trial at the level that we hear the stories of Jesus tell us that Jesus encountered. So we don't have to worry about that. But we do have everyday experiences where we feel like things are going along fine and, in fact, things are building up in our lives well and we are going to use that momentum to try something new and then all hell breaks loose. So I want to illustrate with a silly story because... You know, we got to keep it a little bit light. This can get a little deep. So let's stay a little light for, for, for right now. So let's say you have your eye on a big job. You are working as a barista to make ends meet, and you like it fine. But you have your eye on this job as an administrative assistant in the mayor's office, and you have for a long while. The mayor just lost an eye rollerblading last year. And you know that that injury is going to slow him down a little bit, and he's probably going to need an extra administrative assistant, some help. So perfect timing for you, really, because you would really like to get into politics and change the world. Your application letter and all the times you have gone to the city hall to ask about opportunities has paid off, and you have scored an interview. So you bought a pair of turquoise earrings for the interview because you see everybody in the office had turquoise earrings or turquoise for some reason. You aren't going to wear the black headband because you do not want to look like you're trying too hard to match the mayor's eye patch or anything like that. So you have fussed around the last detail and you have all the campaign buttons firmly affixed to your jacket so they can see what a go-getter you are. And you are ready to step out the door, crossing your fingers, please, please, just as the cat darts underneath your new shoes to run outside ahead of you. You stumble sideways and sort of twist your body, and one of your prize campaign buttons snags on the blouse. It shifts the other way entirely, building up pressure and pressure and pulling the two garments at opposite angles, and the blouse tears. And in a way that can only be compared with the launch of a rocket, the button zooms across to the bookshelf on the far wall and hits the mirror and smacks it right at the center. The mirror responds by spidering into five shards with a great big crack. And you stand there, stunned, your brain scrambling, do you have time to sew up the button on your blouse before you'll be too late? And you gaze at the great shards of the mirror. You think, oh gosh, that the only thing even remotely good about what just happened is that the button miraculously missed your prized crystal bowling trophy. And heaven forbid, the, the button hadn't busted loose at the interview. and." taken out somebody's eye, especially not the mayor, since he only had one left. And of course, exactly right then, one of the shards of the, crystal, of, the, of the mirror falls down onto the crystal bowling trophy, knocking it out off the shelf and onto the ceramic floor where it shatters into a million pieces. This silly story illustrates what we can all relate to, where you work so hard for things to go right and suddenly things go wrong. You cross your fingers, you pray, you hold your breath, hoping that nothing goes wrong because you don't know what will happen next, and you feel so super vulnerable in that moment, and you just don't want anything to jinx it. So there's a serious side to this. I came across a book last week, and I had to purchase a copy. The book is called Made by Stephanie Land hard work, low pay, and a mother's will to survive. Stephanie was a normal young adult living a regular life, but at 28 with a young child, she fled an abusive relationship and ended up homeless. That baby took her first steps in a homeless shelter. Stephanie worked hard, but the reality of homelessness and poverty in the United States right now, and maybe this has always been true, and I'm only just now, figuring out how bad it really is. But the reality is, for people in Stephanie's situation, if you're going to be able to get out of the challenges you are faced with, you're going to need real help, real support, real services, and even then, it's going to take every ounce of what you've got. Stephanie worked as a house cleaner for $6 an hour, raising that first baby. She went to school on loans, with the loans piling up because that was her only option of paying for tuition. She lived in a camper, homeless shelters, transitional housing, $300 a month in food stamps. She graduated with $60,000 in debt with no more loan money, no job, no assets, and was living for those months on 6 to $7 a day. And she says there's a certain hopelessness in living in this level of poverty that you have to fight daily to overcome. She wrote, when she asked her landlord to do something about the mold in the bathroom, she ended up having to find a new place to live. She was on housing wait lists and a church. Bless the churches who step up for this, gave her $1,500, saving her from homelessness again with with a baby still this time around. Though her book has gone viral, and so I hope for better days for her, she has hasn't seen the financial rewards of that yet, and she still lives in low-income housing. And she said something that really struck with me. She says, right now, my anxiety levels are really high because things are going really well, and I am just waiting for the catch. Right? It's the same thing. When things go right, we hold our breath, we pray, we cross our fingers, we're warding off as a spiritual word. We are warding off that bad thing that feels like it is lurking there, just waiting for the opportunity to pounce and take us down just for everything seems like when that's going right that you're terrified that now, now, things are going to tumble down and shatter on the floor. We can go even deeper from here. In the ancient days, they believed in spiritual attack. Think of all the stories where Jesus uh, casts out demons, Even John Wesley, who did not live so long ago, believed that evils that befell the world could be spiritual evil as well as material or just illness, that these spiritual evils existed too. And Susanna Wesley taught her children this as well. We, like others, sometimes get a sense of that evil in the world. And as Westerners, as Western rationalists, sometimes we don't have language to talk about that. And so we talk about it around the side and in the corners. But there's something, right, emotionally in your body, something you feel, something that prickles your neck. Sometimes there is evil in the world. And sometimes when you do your best, when you do everything you can, it comes at you. You're waiting sometimes for the other shoe to drop. So if you put yourself out there and you try to do good, it can lead to sort of a spiritual attack or even simply just material attack, right? This is a threat to Jesus' physical well-being. People will want to put you back in your place, right? Um, On a grand scale, because this happens in every element, it can lead to war. And war is something that plagues us. And when we talk about attack, when we talk about good turned to bad overnight, war can be part of what we talk about there. So this is a video, a short video um, featuring Elmira Woods. She's a member of the International Working Group for Africa Rising and co-director for the Institute of Policy Studies in Washington, DC. And she speaks in this clip about Liberia and the struggle for that country and that other African countries have also struggled with to recover from war. African country of Liberia the long-term effects of war continue to cripple the nation.
1: Liberia has still today about 80 percent unemployment is the official UN and World Bank statistic. Very high illiteracy rates, um, education system that's been underfunded and and really um, suffering for quite some time after 26 years of war. And what we have is an economy that's still now, 10 years after the war, in crisis. The biggest challenge is essentially an economic model where the 1%, using the words of Occupy, right? The 1% continue to get richer and richer at the expense of the majority of people on this planet, the 99%. And U.S. policy reinforces that status quo. It's oil, it's gas, it's mining, these essential Um, ingredients for the global economy are increasingly found in Africa. What you see is um, corporations very much interested in extracting those resources um, at any cost. It is the short-term interests dictated by corporate interests and corporate power um, that end up um, really undermining opportunities for people, particularly those in resource-rich regions to be able to actually survive. The hope, the bright spots? Well, I think the bright spots are what you see in places like Tunisia or Egypt, um, where where young people who are the booming demographic on the African continent, right? And, you know, Africa has seven of the top 10 growing economies in the world. They are finding their voice. So people are organizing, movements are organizing. I'm also really strengthened that women are expanding their on uh, new opportunities for women's political leadership to emerge throughout the continent. And I think these changes open up new leadership, leadership that's going to put the needs of communities first, of, of housing, of education, of health care. Um, so I see a lot of hope. And people in their church basements can demand through their leadership of Congress that there be an end to the flow, this almost offensive flow of weapons into Africa and other conflict zones must end. It is those long-term impacts of war that end up um, stripping away opportunities. We spend taxpayer dollars on more wars. Is that how congregants want their resources to flow? Or do we instead make demands that taxpayer resources go towards building a better world, a more stable world, a more just world. The more we stand together, understand that the power is in numbers, across borders, that we are one human family. What happens that impacts and brings injustice to one is an injustice to all. And we have to stand together for values of justice and of human dignity in this 21st century, whatever way we can. For the whip? So
0: that number was 80% unemployment. Kind of sounded like eight. It was 80. Um, so it gets mixed up, right? If somebody uh, rejects you or wounds you, it doesn't just experience as a material wound, right? It gets us emotionally. There's some ways to talk about when you step out to do good, to believe, to have faith, and to trust that there, there may well be a pushback against that that actually kind of wounds on the spiritual level too. And being able to talk about that without making it sort of an extreme book of revelations kind of problem is really helpful. To have language to admit that we are emotional spiritual beings as well as material and when we war with each other when we try to push people off a cliff so we don't have to hear their words demanding equality or liberation or fairness or feeding the hungry that we do harm not just materially to each other but spiritually as well to each other and our world so In looking at mission, we started with Jesus at the baptismal pool being powered up as the Spirit descends on him. The voice of God declares that Jesus is God's son. Jesus feels that power and is charged up and ready to go. The next step is to prove yourself. You have all this power and you feel the Spirit calling you together and others into ministry and mission and teaching. And with that power of the Spirit, what are you going to do? Does it even work? Would it even work for you to put yourself out there? And then you do that first that first gig. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, release the prisoner, forgive the debt. Jesus is on his way to making a movement, building a whole new way of understanding and being in relationship with God. But it doesn't go off without a lot of hitches. And that's just the truth. So Wesley assures us that no good is done or spoken or thought by any man without the assistance of God, working together with those who believe in him, hold on. When you feel that pushback, when you try to do good in your life, when you are at the door hoping that something good will happen today and a button breaks loose, remember, that is not the final word. You are a beloved child of God and God is with you in every good thing. Step boldly into understanding that. Bring your knowledge deep inside you that you are on the track together with God to transform the world. Amen.